Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, well, we have made it to the book of Joel. Yeah. And today we're going to do an introduction. Uh, by the way, 10 years ago, I believe this month, we had this extreme baptism at Aluso Creek Beach. How many of you were at that? Hey, Luke was there. Yeah, do you remember that, Luke? Dude, that was crazy. The waves, when they were coming, that's hard to tell there. This was the whitewash, not the wave. Because the waves, weren't they like overhead? Yeah, and that it smashed down, and this was the, <laughs> we called it extreme baptism. It's kind of like, hey, we're going to let God baptize you. We'll just hold on to you so you don't drown. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah, we made it through unscathed. So uh, the book of Joel in the Hebrew canon of Scripture is placed after Ezekiel between Hosea and Amos. Uh, in the Septuagint, and by the way, the Septuagint, what is that? Yeah, it's the Greek translation. It's the Bible that Jesus uh, taught from. In the Septuagint, it's placed where we place it in our Bibles, uh, right after uh, Daniel or after Daniel and Hosea, but right before Hosea or uh, Amos. All right. By the way, any of you hear the music group Daniel Amos? Okay, when I was in college, Bible college, in the 80s, they were a popular Christian uh, band, Daniel Amos, but they sang some of the weirdest songs you could ever imagine. I mean, just, wow. Joel makes no mention of the northern kingdom of Israel as a separate entity. Even though Joel's probably written in the 800 BCs, but we really don't know when it was written, uh, now he is pro prophesying of when the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, would become one again. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Uh, when he does speak of Israel, he uses it in a sense that seems to refer to the united covenant people of God. And that's why even that part of the book of Joel is prophetic. It's looking to the last days when there's not going to be a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, a, a split nation, but they will come together as one. All right. In fact, Joel may be all about the end times with only symbolic or shadow occurrence of events that occurred in the past. For example, the day of Pentecost. The first sermon given to the church in Acts chapter 2 is out of Joel chapter 2. Uh, and he says, hey, this is what Joel prophesied that would occur. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters. Did that happen at Pentecost? All flesh. When a shadow of it happened, absolutely. When will it happen? The latter reign, the, 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 that and, and into the millennial reign. All right. All right. So the focus is on the latter reign. Uh, there's two periods of reign in Israel, the early reign and the spring and the latter, the autumn or the fall. And uh, both periods of reign, they needed to get a lot of rain so that uh, the land would flourish and uh, crops would grow and all of that. And the early reign is when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts. That's the partial fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. The latter reign is in the remnant bride of Christ. In these last days, we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, in a much greater way. 
and a reference to the millennial reign of Christ where his spirit will be poured out literally on all flesh. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about that in two weeks. All right. Okay. Uh, various themes, uh, locust devastation, the day of the Lord, exhortation to repentance, uh, how gracious and compassionate God is, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the latter rain of events and eternal salvation. So Joel chapter 1, this is not historical, even though a lot of scholars try to make it historical. Why don't we turn there, Joel chapter 1. <clears throat> If you have a study Bible, is there a comment on Joel chapter 1 somewhere that says this, this occurred uh, right before the prophet Joel wrote the words of the prophecy? A lot of scholars try to say it did. That these there was a great swarming locust that consumed the land. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but a lot of scholars say this this had to have happened in the past. I don't think none of this could have happened because this devastation was more than ever. Go down to verse 20 of Joel chapter 1. Even verse 19. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field, even the beasts of the field pent. For the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. When does that happen? It's during the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. Folks, this didn't happen in history. It's not a historical thing. The whole book of Joel is prophetic, meaning it's yet future or yet to happen. And even when Peter quoted Joel chapter 2, he took that one quote uh, out of context, but he did talk about the sun going dark and the moon not giving its light in his sermon. Well, that's the day of the Lord. And in fact, Joel is all about the day of the Lord. Uh, some of the prophecy was fulfilled, shadow fulfillment in 70 AD when uh, Rome took over Jerusalem and they wiped it out and tore down the temple and did all that stuff. Rome was crushed uh, and Jerusalem destroyed the temple, but that was only a partial fulfillment. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 talks about Rome with the iron teeth devouring, but it's talking about the revived Roman Empire in the last days. And in Joel chapter 1, he talks about it will be uh, like a lion, and it's going to just really consume the nation of Israel, again, which will happen in the 70th week of Daniel. And that's in chapter 1, verse 6 of Joel. It talks about the mighty nation who uh, has teeth like a lion, and kind of uh, goes along with Daniel. In verses 14 and 15, we're told that uh, this is a sign that the day of the Lord is near. Now, the day of the Lord is one of those prophetic markers. It's talked about throughout the Bible, but Joel, I believe, is the first one to actually write about the day of the Lord. Now, have you ever done a study on the day of the Lord? I mean, we have briefly, and uh, going through uh, Revelation and all of that, fact is, Joel is all about the last seven years and the millennial reign of Christ, and the whole book is really speaking to the nation of Israel and the remnant bride of church, of, of the church in the last days. It's quoted uh, in Amos chapter 1, Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Joel is also quoted in 
at Acts chapter 2, with the first sermon given to the church. Jesus referred to it in uh, Joel chapter 2 and Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. The sun growing dark, the moon not giving its light, which starts the day of the Lord. Uh, Paul quoted Joel chapter 2, whoever will call in the name of the Lord in Romans 10, 13. By the way, whoever means whoever, right? It's, that's why it's important that we get the gospel out there. Uh, God is looking for people to respond to that wooing of the Holy Spirit. And John alludes to Joel 2.10 and describes events of the tribulation in Revelation 8.12 and also in Revelation chapter 9. So uh, Joel's quoted throughout the New Testament, and he really begins that day of the Lord study. Is that cut off up there too? I don't know why it doesn't cut off when I'm making it, but it does cut off here. So, yeah, that's all right. Prophets write, giving us glimpses or snapshots of prophetic events. Uh, and uh, Jesus spoke in parables. Why did he do that? What did he say? Yes, so, so if you're really uh, wanting to know what this is, you're going to have to search it out. You're going to have to figure it out. But to those who aren't appointed to that, man, it's just going to be, what is that? And they're not going to get it. And so they're not going to be able to understand. By the way, if you knock... The door will be open. If you seek, you will find. And if you lack wisdom, what does that mean? What does this parable mean? Ask, and it will be given to you. All three things. So it's not like, well, to those that it's been given to, to receive it, they'll receive it, and the other ones won't. No, you interpret Scripture with Scripture. Hey, ask, and I'll give it to you. So who's the ones that are appointed to figure out what the parables mean? Whoever is seeking. Because if you seek, you will what? Find. And if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. And so all these other verses say it's not like, okay, it's appointed unto them, and the other one, sorry, you, you can't know the gospel or what the parable means. No, all you need to do is ask, and God will give you wisdom. Seek it out. In the prophets, he spoke in snapshots or glimpses. A little glimpse here, another glimpse there, and sometimes in one verse, the fulfillment of that verse is separated by thousands of years in one verse. Okay, and we're, I'm going to give you an example of that. Isaiah 28, 13, so the word of the Lord uh, to them will be order on order, or precept on precept, uh, line on line, or line on line, a little here, a little there, speaking of the prophecies. So we have a prophet uh, looking at the prophetic prophecy that God has given us, and he's going to see this cap here, and then in the next verse, or maybe even the same verse, he's going to write about this, but these events are separated by a thousand years. And then he's going to write about this event here, and that's separated by another 2,000 years. And I'll give you an example. Turn to Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Luke 4, 16. <clears throat> And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set those who are oppressed free, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
And he stopped mid-verse right there. And he said, close the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right, so he paused half, half the scripture. Turn to Isaiah 61, and let's read exactly where he paused. Starting in verse 1. Isaiah 61, starting at verse 1. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's where he stopped, right? Okay, so the first mountain peak in that verse is the favorable year of the Lord. What is that? He said it's fulfilled in your hearing. It's the first coming of Christ. It's when Christ came to earth the first time because it was fulfilled, that part of that half of the verse. But the next half is what? In the day of vengeance of our God. What is that? The day of wrath. That's the wrath of God. And that starts at the day of the Lord. Remember, the day of the Lord is a glorious day for us. The church were rescued. Uh, all Israel look upon, they pierce, they're mourned, they're taken to the wilderness and protected. So the Jews embrace Christ as Messiah for the first time and since he was here. But then wrath is poured out or the day of vengeance. And that's not going to happen until uh, past the midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel. Okay, And then the next thing he talks about, let's just read it. Uh, to comfort all who mourn, verse 3, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle or garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness or fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And that's not going to be fulfilled until the second coming of Jesus Christ. So in these three verses of Isaiah, if you just read them, you'd think, oh, all of this is going to happen at the same time. And yet it's talking about the first coming of Christ. It's coming in the air to take us, the rapture, and then the wrath that's going to be poured out, and the second coming of Christ in three verses. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's why we need to be good Bereans when we study Bible prophecy. We need to really, it's almost like a puzzle. You need to make sure all the pieces fit. And once you get all of that uh, in mind, it's really beautiful. Uh, and it really is a great thing to do. So, the day of the Lord. Joel is all about the day of the Lord. He talks about it uh, five times. Uh, the feast that signifies the day of the Lord is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, what, what do the Jews call that? Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Now, the Feast of Trumpets starts in two weeks. Okay. At sunset. So in two weeks, we're going to go over the Feast of Trumpets uh, kind of in depth and all the fall feasts. By the way, if, have you studied the feast? Not, not in depth. We're, we're going to do that a bit in two weeks, but just uh, to kind of prep for it, uh, Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. September 29th at sunset. That's a Sunday night. So uh, the Sunday we talk about it uh, actually will start. And I would encourage you, celebrate the feast. 
uh, they all point to Christ or they all point to uh, prophetic events that are yet to occur. All of these do. Uh, Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, and that's October 8th. And Hanukkah is December 22nd. That's the Feast of Rededication or the Feast of Lights. And uh, we'll be talking about all those feasts and celebrating them. It's interesting, each feast, Passover, the lamb slain, Christ's death. Unleavened bread, leaven represents sin, is gone as he died and paid for that sin. Are you with me? The first fruits, new life, Jesus' resurrection. They, all of these feasts pointed to that. Feast of Weeks is the birth of the church, Pentecost, um, 50. Feast of Trumpets is Rosh Hashanah, the day of the Lord starts. It's the feast that no one knows the day or the hour. Why is that? We'll talk about it in two weeks, but it's the only feast that starts on the new moon. And so they actually have watchers all night long looking for that first appearance of the crescent moon. You ever see it when it's that beautiful little crescent? As soon as they see it, it's like, oh, now the feast begins, and they blow the trumpets. But no one knows the exact day or hour because it could happen within two or three days. Huh, what else does the Bible say about no one knows the day or the hour? Rapture, and that happens at the Feast of Trumpets. At the great trumpet, the dead in Christ will be raised. So we'll talk about that in two weeks. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, and that's the Great Tribulation and the Second Coming. Namely this. The Feast of Trumpets, we go up in the rapture, the Jews look upon him and they pierce because Christ appears, they repent, and are finally atoned for. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, happens right after the Feast of Trumpets. Are you with me? As soon as Jew, the Jews repent, they're atoned for, but they're not part of the church. Um, then we have the Feast of Tabernacles, the millennial reign, and uh, in uh, Zechariah it says, during the millennial reign, Everybody will have to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and if they don't, they will reap the consequences. So that's a reference to the millennial reign, and that'll be the final wilderness wandering on this planet until the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and that's the new rededication of the temple, the final temple, the new Jerusalem. That's what Hanukkah is all about. It's the Feast of Lights. Isn't that great how the feasts all point to the gospel and to prophetic events. And so I just love it. it, it it's kind of cool. So we're going to go over these. We'll be figuring out how to celebrate the fall feasts, which are trumpets, Yom Kippur, and tabernacles, uh, winter feast, Hanukkah, and then Passover, unleavened bread, first fruit, and weeks we'll uh, celebrate next year uh, as we come to those. Should the Lord tarry. Okay. Joel in the day of the Lord. Joel literally uh, in the Hebrew would be Yoel. Why? Remember, there's no J sound. By the way, when did we start using a J in English? No one really used a J sound until 580. Crazy. And there really wasn't even English. Oh, I'm sorry. Scratch that. I'm getting my facts wrong. 500 years ago, <laughs> we started using the J sound in English. I have a page from an old English Bible. Guess how Jesus is spelled? I-E-S-U-S. -S. No, there was no J. This page of the Bible that I have is older than before there was even a J sound in the English language. No J sound at all 500 years ago. How did people pronounce Jesus' name? 
prior to that. Jesus. What is the Greek pronunciation of Jesus' name? Jesus. Yeah. So uh, even then, they took the Greek and transliterated it. So all the way up until 500 years ago, no one said Jesus. They, they had known, they just, in the development of the English language, they hadn't, they hadn't formulated a J sound yet. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 Jerusalem. Yeah. And and so, like, uh, there's no Jah Yahweh, or there's no uh, Jehovah, uh, there's no Joel, it's it's Yael, Yael, and, and it literally means Yahweh is God. Um, yeah. Uh, Elijah means God is Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? So El is God, and Yah or Yah is um, uh, God's name. So, proper name, Tetragrammaton, YHWH. So Joel's the only one, uh, first one who introduces the day of the Lord. Um, not the only one, but uh, the first one. He talks about it five times, and pretty much the whole book sur is surrounded by that theme. So we know that uh, to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. The day of the Lord begins uh, with the rapture and ends with the final judgment. It's the day of the Lord's reign. Not John, yeah. 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 Right. So, yeah, well, who knows? All right. So the day of the Lord, I just want to give a, a, a quick overview. Acts 2.20, this is Peter quoting Joel, our text in Joel chapter 2. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Okay. Uh, first sermon given to the church. What happens when the sun's turned to darkness and the great glorious day of the Lord? The trumpet is heard, the rapture occurs. The very first sermon, Peter said, hey, all the events that are going to happen throughout church history are going to be consummated when the sun turns to darkness and the moon into blood and we are taken up before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. All right. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. First Thessalonians 5.2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. What do we know about that phrase, a thief in the night? It only talks about the rapture. Okay. You can't say the day of the Lord is the second coming. Why? What happens at the second coming? The Antichrist has gathered the armies of the world. They know the day to fight Jesus Christ when he comes back. They're, they're, they're gathered at Megiddo. And, and so they know the exact day the second coming is going to occur. The thief in the night is always a reference to the rapture. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Note this, 1 Thessalonians 5.4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief. That means we're going to see it. That, folks, that's the rapture. 
we come back with Christ at the second coming. Okay. Make no mistake about it. Pre-trib people say the day of the Lord is the second coming. It can't be the rapture of the church. And yet the Bible's pretty clear, um, I think. Uh, Titus 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope, that's the rapture, and the appearing of the glory, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and we know that's the rapture. Okay. So Peter, the first sermon says, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And that glorious appearing of the Lord. It's very interesting that almost every passage on the rapture talks about the appearing of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the day of the Lord begins with the rapture, ends with the white throne judgment. Acts 2.20 tells us the sun will be darkened before the day of the Lord comes. Joel chapter 2 tells us that as well. So how do we know the day of the Lord starts with the rapture? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, who will confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, when are we going to be confirmed blameless? At the rapture. The day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, more, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, I've decided to deliver one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit's going to be raptured even though he perishes physically Remember, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.14, it says, Just as you also personally did understand that we are the reason to be proud, as you are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, man, they're raptured up, and we're going to be like, yes, we made it. Hallelujah. Um, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The inference is, hey, it hasn't come yet because that's when we go up in the rapture and we'll finish that verse later because he gives two things that have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. James 5, 7, therefore uh, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it till he gets the early and the latter rains. You think he's quoting Joel chapter 2 there, or at least alluding to it? Absolutely. Be patient about his coming. Then that's where he says a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years uh, is as a day. Second Peter 3.12, looking for and hastening the coming of the great day of God. Uh, Acts 2.17 Again, talks about the day of the Lord for a sermon given to the church. Uh, Luke 21, 34, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation or drunkenness or the worries of life, and that the day will not come suddenly like a trap, speaking reference to the day of the Lord. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Speaking of the day. The day of the Lord. That day is the day of the Lord. Begins with the rapture, ends with final judgment. It starts the short period of time known as uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, which we went over, I believe, last week. Uh, it's the day of Christ's reign. The day of the Lord is the glorious, the rapture and marriage supper, and at the same time, terrible judgment and wrath, all in one start of a day. And Joel's going to get us into that. So, how do we prepare for the day of the Lord? Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see what approaching? That day, the day of the Lord, approaching or drawing near. So the sixth seal starts the day of the Lord, and here's all the events. Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation. What's that? He goes into the rebuilt temple, proclaims himself God. Uh, sixth seal is broken. There's a war in heaven at the same time. The stars, fallen angels, and Satan are cast out of heaven once and for all. Uh, the world mourns. Uh, Christ appears in the clouds. Israel looks upon him who they pierce to mourn. The world, uh, even the Antichrist, hides in caves and says, Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. The word presence there literally means appearing. Uh, the revelation of Christ as he appears gathers the elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Uh, rapture occurs. Israel is taken to the wilderness and protected and saved. And the 144,000 are sealed. And the seventh seal begins the wrath of God. Okay, that's essentially, Pastor Chris. Yeah. Well, so initially when he fell, they fell, but they still had access. So turn, if you would, just to answer that. Revelation chapter 12. So we know exactly when this happens because uh, Satan is going to pursue Israel, but she's going to be taken to the wilderness and protected for three and a half years. Okay, so this is the midpoint right after the abomination of desolation. And it says in verse 7 of Revelation 12, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels were waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. Brethren here is speaking to the Christians. Uh, some people try to say Satan was thrown down back in Ezekiel or Isaiah. You know, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yeah, he was cast out initially when he rebelled, but apparently he still has access. And apparently, even when Job, Satan was talking to the Father. Uh, there's three or two occasions where Satan was in heaven in the Old Testament long after the initial fall, if that makes sense. Yes, making accusation. Here, he's the accuser of the brethren, so this is Christians. So Satan is still up there, has access to the throne of God, accusing the brethren. Finally, here, he's going to be thrown down, and um, it says this, verse 10, uh, Again, now, now I heard a loud, loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, speaking of Christians. And they did not love their life even when faced with death, speaking of the martyrs, the breaking of the fifth seal. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing he has only a very short time. And that's the last half of the 70th week of Daniel. And the dragon came down, and he chased Israel into the wilderness. And that's how, another reason we know it's at the midpoint. Um, but uh, God protected them in the wilderness for three and a half years. Wow. It's kind of interesting. Okay. So this is a, a bit of an overview. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is the only verse that really gives us the timing of the rapture. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, it says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that's the rapture, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Referring to the rapture, let no one in any way deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, and that's the Antichrist. And the apostasy is a great falling away. When is he revealed? It tells us in the next verse. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. All right. That's the abomination. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a dark, fearful, sun goes dark, moon doesn't give us light. It's, it's going to be a horrible day for everyone on the earth, except Jews who repent and they're taken to the wilderness. And the church will be taken out. So, but yeah, it'll be a dark day. Um, it, it pretty much says everyone that's left alive, they're, they're, they're going to repent. But there's not going to be a lot left alive. Yeah, because it says you're storing up for yourself wrath in the in the day. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Only those that deserve it will, will be here for the wrath. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. 
God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word. I love